Well, good morning. It's a, it's a real privilege uh, to be with you this morning uh, here at Deniston Baptist Church. It's a place that uh, we, we pray for uh, regularly, um, and it's a place that we're so thankful to God for the way uh, in which he's at work. You know, I, I, as Mark said, for uh, the last 18 years, I've been the, the lead pastor at Calderwood Baptist Church during that time. Uh, I had the, the privilege of having Mark as a, an assistant and then an associate, and then the joy of, of uh, releasing uh, Mark and Pauline uh, to ministry uh, here in Deniston. And uh, I, I bring the love and I bring the greetings of the church at Calderwood to continue uh, just to support you in many ways in which we can and to pray for you uh, on a regular basis. But I, I still recall with a glad heart uh, meeting here in Deniston uh, at that time when it was just uh, a gathering uh, of seven godly, uh, but, uh, you know, getting on uh, in years, women, uh, and uh, they were praying uh, that God would move in mighty and precious and powerful ways uh, in this community. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember going back from that uh, first meeting and sitting and telling Linda a little bit about it, uh, and uh, it's great to have my wife Linda with me today. And uh, we fast forward now, and we look at the providence of God. When God's working out his plan, when God is working out his purpose, when God is doing what he has designed uh, to do. Uh, and we just rejoice uh, in all of that in the same way as we've rejoiced with the uh, purchase of Ridry. And uh, we're rejoicing at all that God is going to do in terms of growing the church here uh, in Deniston uh, and in Ridry. One church, two locations. And probably, uh, as I was praying, I knew it was going to be a free Sunday. I'm, I'm someone who normally preaches uh, consecutively. Uh, but now that I'm back out in the road, uh, I've, uh, I've been given a lot of free Sundays. And I never like to preach the same message, uh, you know, in different places. So I always listen for what's right for the occasion. And during the week, I was just starting to pray uh, about Dennis and I, and I sense that Psalm 131 was where we should go. And the encouraging thing about this, again, the providence of God, the practical presence of God, uh, leaning in, trusting in God uh, in every situation. As I said, we're going to look at Psalm 131. I said to uh, Claire when she got in touch with me, what are we looking at? I said, oh, Psalm 131, I'm going to preach the whole of it. All right? And I'm going to preach the whole of it. Three verses. Uh, so, uh, the, the, what do you call it? Uh, I, I sense we should go there. And it was only after that I decided that, that I listened to Mark's message last week on uh, worshipful rest or resting. I got it right there, worshipful rest, yeah? And, uh, and it was excellent. And I just sensed that this was right uh, to follow on from that. And again, that's just a little bit of the providence of God. So let's hear the word of God. Let's uh, hear Psalm 131. Let's allow God to speak in the reading of his word. And then... Uh, we'll seek to unpack that word for us this morning. Psalm 131, uh, the words are there. I'm reading from the ESV. I think that's the CSB, so there'll be a little bit of variation here, uh, but you'll get the gist of that. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. 
I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let's just still our hearts. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that your word and your spirit work in order that your name might be magnified in our lives as we learn what it is to trust you, as we learn what it is to be obedient to you, as we learn what it is to receive the blessing of your word by putting it into practice in our daily lives. And so we pray this morning that you would speak to us in your word and that you would touch and bless our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the ESV gives this uh, psalm a little title. It says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. And that's a beautiful picture. I have calmed and quieted my soul. It was interesting just as we were starting to, to worship the the back screen for the uh, the words of praise uh, was uh, you know the old man uh, the old man of so I've climbed it actually you know at Sky uh, and the would you call it uh, it was interesting just seeing that because uh, we we had a little family holiday recently and uh, we were up in the Scottish Highlands and of course I, I'm I'm biased uh, but there is no better place than the Scottish Highlands. And uh, when you go up to the, the Scottish Highlands and you just take in the breathtaking beauty, uh, you realise that in actual fact, you know, God must have had a soft place in his heart for Scots. And, uh, you know, he, he put them in such a beautiful location. But uh, we were up there on a family holiday uh, and in amongst all the breathtaking wonder of the majesty of God and creation, uh, we, we had our grandchildren uh, with us and uh, Linda and I, it unbelievably have got four grandchildren, you know, remarkable actually for people that are so young and so young looking. Uh, but uh, but we'll get four grandchildren, seven, four, 15 months and 10 months, all right, 16 months and 11 months maybe now, uh, but they, they keep growing. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we're up there in the Scottish Highlands and, uh, you know, it's amazing when you look at the majesty of God and all the fullness of creation. But then what happens is you, you move in and you look at the majesty of God and just the smallest detail of life. And I'm with my little granddaughter. We're on one of these little miniature trains, you know, the ones that the little steam engines fuel, you know, many replicas of the big thing and you're sitting in the back there, you know. And my little granddaughter, who's four, she's tucked in uh, beside Papa and we're on this little train and right alongside us, flying, in perfect, you know, sync with ourselves is a little butterfly. One of these beautiful ones, you know, multicolored. I don't know the names, you know, I wish I did. Uh, but multicolored and stunning. We're, we're just, the train's going along. We're in the majesty of the Scottish Highlands. And here's a little butterfly. 
Uh, and both my granddaughter and I were captured just by this little butterfly. And we're just looking at this little thing, so small, so delicate, so, you know, infinitesimally small in terms of the grandeur of what's surrounding it. And yet we were captured. And you know, when you and I open up the Word of God, the Word of God is like that. You know, you look at the grandeur of it, you look at the magnificent of it, you look at the way in which it shows us the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-seeing majesty of God the Creator and God the One who in Christ Jesus brings us our Saviour, our Deliverer. But then what happens is you just move in to just the smallest of texts. And here in three verses, amongst the whole of the Psalter, as part of the songs of ascent that the people would sing on their way up to praise and adore and worship God. Three little verses cause us just to tune in to the infinite care and providence and plan and purpose of God in our lives. And that's what we want to do this morning. When I think about the way in which God is uniquely involved in each one of our lives and in all of our lives together and of how you and I need to learn what it is to lean in, to trust in, to know his presence and to rest in the fact that he is working out his plans. And uh, Psalm 131 uh, turns around and it says, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And this is a psalm of David. And when you think about that, this is a psalm that David has written. It's not like many of the psalms of David, we know that he wrote them in very particular situations, in very unique circumstances. And when you look at the psalm, you can see the way in which it relates to the situation and circumstances in. But this is not one of those psalms. This is one of those psalms that he's written as a reflection upon the reality of what it is to trust God, what it is to know God's presence, and what it is to accept that God is leading and directing and in control in the midst of all of the changing circumstances of life. He's completely in control and he's working out his perfect plan, his perfect purpose, and what he desires will be accomplished. And he writes this psalm almost as it were, he probably wrote it in his early years, but he writes it almost as a statement of the attitude of his heart. You know, uh, elsewhere in the psalms, we read about David that his heart was fixed. He says, my heart is steadfast, O Lord. And what he meant by that was his heart was fixed upon who God was, upon what God was doing, and that his life, despite all of his many faults and failings, which the Bible does not hide from us, his life was fixed upon the glory of God and the majesty of God and the plan and the purpose of God. And so he writes this little psalm, Psalm 131, three verses, and you get a little bit of the attitude of his heart. And really what he's saying in the wholeness of it, is he's saying that it does not matter what we go through in life. It does not matter what's raging around us. It does not matter what we're going through at a personal level. It does not matter whether it's a day of despair. It does not matter whether it's a day of dismay. It does not matter whether we're going through something that we had no desire whatsoever to go through or whether it's the best of days. 
God has his hand upon us and he's working out his plan, his purpose for his honor, for his glory in your life and in mine. And so this psalm can be applied in so many contexts in the whole of David's life. I started to think about that. You know, even when he was anointed to be king, he wasn't king at that time. Saul was still king. And yet I thought, you know, some of us would be sitting there thinking, I want to be king. You know, I'm, I'm, the, one, I'm the anointed one. I'm the chosen one. You know, what's this guy doing here? Move over. No, there's not. There's just that sense of, look, God is working out his plan and purpose. It'll be in God's good time. It'll be for God's glory. It will be at a time in which the glory of God depends upon all of this, not me. And so the, the, there's, a, there's a quietness in there. There's a stillness. There's a patience. And even when he was ousted from being king, you know, because of family squabbles and folks that were desiring, you know, things that were above them, he still had that same thing. You know, we don't need to put out our hands against the Lord's anointed, we're so always concerned. We don't need to uh, react with violence in the context that we find ourselves in. God will work out his plan and purpose. And yet even uh, in the midst of his most horrendous days, still that sense that God will work out his plan and purpose. I don't know what you think about the providence of God. The providence of God is when God is working out his plan and purpose regardless. And you and I find it much easier to read the providence of God backwards than we do forward. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we often at the end of a trial will look back and think God's hand was in this. Often at the end of an experience that we've gone through, we'll say God's hand was in this. Often at the end of some great provision of God in our life, we'll realize God's hand was in it, but we don't always see his hand in the midst of it. Well, there's, a, there's an attitude of heart. Whenever the Bible uh, speaks about the heart, you'll often find that the heart and the eyes are very closely related. Uh, and what we're coveting in our heart, we often covet with our eyes. And so the reality is, uh, as David writes this little psalm, he says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a vision of a kingdom that would honor and glorify God. He does have that. But what it does mean is that he's got a right perspective in his own role in it. Yeah, that's so important. So important. You see, we can, as leaders in the life of God's church, as you know, members in the life of a church, we can have a huge desire for the glory of God and for the expansion of his kingdom within our community. But sometimes what we do is we hold on not only to that, but we will actually get as much of a desire for our place in all of it. And it's that latter part that's problematic. The first part is good. The latter part is problematic when we, when we feel it's got to be about us in the midst of it. And in actual fact, David shows us a, a little bit of that heart that was steadfast and fixed upon God when he says, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now think about that. This is God's chosen king. This is the one 
who would be both a prophet and a king. This is the one that we look back at and say he was a type of Christ. He was shown as what Jesus the Messiah would be like. And here we discover in the heart of the king this humility about himself and his role in it. You see, I long for Deniston Baptist Church for Ridry a Baptist church, whatever you call it, one church, two locations. I long for those buildings. Natural fact, truth be told, I long one day that you'll knock this building down and build something else, right? Uh, but I long uh, for these two buildings to overflow with believers for the glory of God. That's a kingdom vision, right? And with all due respects, it doesn't really matter if Mark's the pastor, right? But in the providence of God, he might be. But it's God's glory, not his. It's for the glory of God, not for man. And you might be a key person in the midst of it, but you might not in the providence of God. But it's actually okay because what we want is the heart of God, that which magnifies him, that which glorifies him. But we're ready and we're prepared to play our part. And I love the attitude with which they approach, and it's that attitude of restful worship that Mark was preaching on, that we approach with an attitude of restful worship that says the glory of God, the majesty of God, the advance of the gospel, the advance of the kingdom. We rest in the sovereign plan and purpose of God, the providence of God. He is working out his plan. And my eyes do not occupy myself with great things for myself. They, they, they don't long for, for that which is kind of marvelous for me. And of course, one of the beautiful things about this mark of humility is that we live in days and ages, and we see it very clearly in our, in our Christian world, where many who have led some of the mega churches in actual fact have fallen foul of a heart that isn't humble. And that in actual fact have been called to resign not just once but twice because it was too much about the man and not enough about God. And so it's a little reminder in there for us. A little reminder in there that our God is the one who is on the throne. Our God is the one who is working out great and glorious things. Our God. And what we've got to do is come into the presence of our God with humility of heart and life and trust in him. Now, think about this. It's something very beautiful and something very precious because uh, we, we, we sang as part of our worship uh, a, 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 a little note of that, that anything is possible for God. And one of the beautiful things about that is that uh, when, when some people looked at Denison Baptist Church a number of years ago, some people just thought we should shut the door and throw away the key. But God's bigger than that, isn't he? God's working out his plan and purpose. And you, you, you look now at what God is doing. And again, that's because that's the providential plan and purpose of God. And that this is what I want to encourage us with because our trust is in who he is and what he's doing for his glory. And he's going to do that through you, but it's not about you. It's go he's going to do that through you, but it's not about you. He's going to do that through you for his honor, for his glory. 
And so David gives us this wonderful insight into that humility of heart. You know, when I started out in, in pastoral ministry, I was in uh, Linlithgow, uh, which is in West Lothian. I don't know how well you know the geography. It's probably as far east as a Glaswegian would choose to go, right? Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I was in Linlithgow and I was ministering there uh, in a very lively uh, independent evangelical church. It, you know, there was a lot of life, there was a lot of activity. Sometimes I felt we were the best dog and pony show. We weren't always well grounded. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, there was a lot going on there. Uh, but there was a, a, an, old, an old, I can say this, he is an old man, right? Uh, there was an old man who was the parish minister. Uh, and the, 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 the parish church in Linlithgow is beautiful in actual fact. It's up beside Linlithgow Palace. If ever you've driven past Linlithgow, you can't help but see this place. Uh, and it's stunning. Uh, it, it, and, and he was a parish minister there. And how on earth you minister uh, in the midst of the kind of, you know, historic, you know, and Mary Queen of Scots was born in the palace and I think christened in the church, you know. Uh, how on earth you minister in the midst of that? But he was just a graceful, humble servant of God. Uh, and I remember sitting having coffee one day with him in his study. And he said, John, he said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice in ministry. Uh, and he was a man that I love and respect. He's, he's still living, retired down in Ayrshire now. And uh, he said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice in ministry. And I was hanging on what he was going to say. And he said, take your calling and your ministry seriously. He says, but John, never take yourself seriously. I sat and listened to it and I thought, you know, he's right. Take what God has called you to seriously. But don't take yourself seriously. Don't start thinking it's all about you. Don't start thinking everything depends on you. You are entirely God dependent for everything and so take what God has called you to do yeah with a serious heart but don't take yourself too seriously I love that little spirit of humility that comes out there my heart is not lifted up my eyes are not raised too high I don't occupy myself things too great and too marvelous for me we do occupy ourselves with things great and marvellous for the glory of God, but not for us. We marvel at what God does for his glory through the likes of us. And that, that's the truth of it. It's incredible. And then he says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child my, is my soul within me. Now, <clears throat> I almost, as I was listening to the message on worshipful rest, was wondering if Mark actually made a thumb to Psalm 131 at some point in the midst of the message. Because I think here is the most beautiful picture of what it is to be in that place of absolute trust in the presence of God and in the power of God. Faith is about being in that place of trust. Not trusting who we are and what we can deliver, but who God is and what God can deliver. Trust and a sense of the presence of God. And uh, 
You know, the, the, the picture lends itself to, to two uh, aspects of, of, of family. Uh, one is uh, either a breastfed child that's just content after being fed, or in actual fact, perhaps more likely, of a child who having been breastfed, uh, you know, and raised that way, is now off the breast, as it were, uh, and they're just so content being in the presence of their mother. The presence of their mother gives them everything, all the safety, all the security, everything that they need just to rest content. Now, I, I've got uh, three children. Uh, they're all uh, <clears throat> in their 30s. I started young. And uh, I've got uh, four grandchildren. And one of the joys that never ceases to amaze me is just the contentedness and the calmness and the quietness. These are not words that I use all the time about them. Calmness and quietness, right? But the contentedness and the calmness and the quietness of when they just snuggle in. I'm blessed with something that every papa should have. It's called a papa belly. It's, you know, for other folks it might be a disturbing feature. But for my grandchildren, it is the most wonderful feature about me. Every papa should have one, right? And they love just to, to rest on papa's belly. It's been true of all my four grandchildren. I never had it when I was a father. Uh, it developed. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, there's just, there's just something wonderful about the contentment, the stillness, the quietness of grandchildren snuggling in or of children snuggling in. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Uh, and in this beautiful picture, we have the picture <clears throat> for David of, of what it is as he faces rebellion from his family as his son tries to steal the crown from him and everyone else is getting angry and hostile and wants to take heads and his word is, I have quiet, calmed and quieted my soul. God is in charge. When he's anointed king, uh, and Saul's still there, and, and Saul's in a cave, and everyone's saying, look, you know, God's got him at your hand, just take his head off, it's your day, David. I have calmed and quieted my soul. God will work out this his way, not my way. God will do his will, it will not be my will. God is in control, working out his plan and purpose. I rest in him, and I sense his presence. My trust is entirely that God will work all this out for his glory. And when uh, he's, <clears throat> he, he brings the ark in and he's dancing in an undignified way and he's insulted by it by his own wife, he says, I will do that which is yet more 
undignified because it's all about God. I have calmed and quieted my soul in him. So whatever the circumstance, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now fast forward into the time of Christ and uh, into the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ and into the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you start to think, where is the picture uh, that, that we have in the scriptures that speak to us about this? And in fact, uh, it was interesting, isn't it? Amongst the disciples, amongst the followers of Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 18, they were so quick to desire great things for themselves, weren't they? Matthew chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He turned over the page to uh, Matthew chapter 20. And sometimes it's not even the person themselves, but it's sometimes it's some family member that desires great things for us. Uh, and so what you find there, a mother's request. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Oh, there's a mother's pride, isn't it? Right? You know, one of our boys on your right hand side, one of our boys on your left hand side. That would just be perfect. Jesus and my two boys. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father, for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Why were they indignant? Because they wanted to be at the right and the left. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them? It shall not be so amongst you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So what is the way of the kingdom? The way of the kingdom is that our greatness is found in going lower, in being the servant of all. Whoever would be first must be the last. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What I want to say in Psalm 131 is we get this wonderful picture of what it is to be a Christian. What is it to be a Christian? It is to be in the presence of God knowing that all your trust is in him. And because all of your trust is in him, then his love, his care, his concern, his compassion 
for you in the context of the family of God is such that everything that he wants to achieve and accomplish for his honor and his glory through you in that context, he will do. But you don't have to strive. And you don't have to position yourself. You have to rest. And you have to trust. And you have to depend upon his presence and his providence. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. How do you describe your Christian walk right now? Can you honestly say that in actual fact as a believer in Christ as one who's put your trust in him that your demeanour is one of calm, quiet, trust in Jesus? You'll work this out. Or, or like so many, do you sometimes default to the minute something happens, you think, what are we going to do? How are we going to sort this? Rather than actually just, Lord, this has not caught you by surprise. You know, God was not taken by surprise by COVID. It didn't surprise him in the slightest. It surprised most of us, right? But in actual fact, there were so many things, weren't there, that, that in the midst of it, you know, we needed to observe and realize, you know, God has created us to be uh, a people who need relationships. God has created us a people for community. And yet in COVID, everyone was put into a place where suddenly they felt isolated, suddenly they felt lonely, suddenly they felt they could not have the relationships they wanted to have. And in the midst of it, God's people have got the saving message of Jesus to bring into that. People were confronted with their own mortality like they'd never been uh, for so long and suddenly they didn't know where to put their hope. But God's people ought not to be afraid of death. Is that an actual fact not one of the principal ways in which God calms and quietens our soul when we become believers? That he says death has been defeated? And that after this life it's the eternal reality of the presence of God? And again, in the midst of it, the people of God should be as those who get calm and quieted souls for their trust is in one who is in control. Their trust is in one who is above all this. Their trust is the all-powerful God. His presence is with us. Was that not the promise? And is that still not the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ? Lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. And I don't know if you notice just about that. Lo, I am with you. Sometimes we think, oh, hallelujah, Jesus is with you. Lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. And sometimes we lose sight of the always, don't we? We find ourselves in the midst, as David did so many times, of that which can bring about despair or dismay. And we lose sight of that calm and quiet soul that says, well, hang on, presence of God. Always. And so it's little wonder uh, as he gives us a little insight into the source of his confidence. Here's what I love about David. His confidence was not in himself. It was in his God. 
His confidence was not in himself, it was in his God. And what he does out of the reflection of these two verses is he then turns to the whole of Israel, the nation that God was raising them up to be prophet and king over, and he turns to the whole of the nation, and he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Isn't that incredible? Little reflection about a calm and quieted soul, about a child still in the presence of his father as we uh, relate this to his relationship with God. His heart in the right place, that he's not desiring great things for himself, he's desiring great things for God. But then he turns to the chosen people. He says, oh Israel, hope in the Lord. And I want to say to us as a church, oh chosen of God, for that's what Israel is. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people set apart for God's glory. You are those upon whom God has set his favor. That's who you are as a church. So, O Deniston, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Not in who you are. Not in what God is doing. Not in what we might achieve and accomplish. Not what God is doing through us. Not what you know, we might achieve and accomplish. But hope in what God is achieving and accomplishing for his glory. Rest in him. Be still in him. Trust in him. And that means when times of despair come, we go first to him. When times of dismay come, we go first to him. When, when times uh, that, that, that arise that look as if, how are we ever going to be able to meet that debt or achieve that aim or accomplish that goal? If God is in it, he will deliver and you will have cause to rejoice that your hope was not in who you are and what you can accomplish, but who he is and what he will accomplish. And so David says, the root of my confidence is that I've learned this at a personal level. And so I share this now with you. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Don't hope in who we are. Don't hope in what we can accomplish. Hope in who he is and what he can do for his glory through us. And so it's incredible, actually, just three verses. But he speaks to us about stillness. He speaks to us about trust. He speaks to us about the presence of God. He speaks to us that our hope is the one who is the creator of heaven and earth, who is in control of all things. And what we need to learn is an attitude that understands it's all about him and not about us, that what he chooses to do, he does through us for his honor, for his glory. We don't desire things too great nor too marvelous for ourselves, but instead we, uh, you know, sit assured children in the presence of God. And let me just, to, as I finish, remind you of this. You could not desire anything more great or anything more marvelous than simply to realize that you are a child of God. See, when 
contented children snuggle in. They don't always articulate it. But there's a, there's a sense in which they say, it doesn't get any better than this. And we are the children of the Lord. Adopted sons and daughters of the living God. Calm and quiet in his presence. All our trust is in him. Actually, what could you desire that would be greater or more marvellous? But yet sometimes our sinful nature just gets the better of us. And, and we think somehow or other, we should have a little bit more. But in actual fact, it's when we learn that in Christ Jesus we have everything, the more is the way in which God will display his majesty for his honor and his glory. And that's the joy of it. And so I like that little title, Worshipful Rest. And I wanted just to build a little bit on it to say, brother or sister in Christ, have you calmed and quieted your soul? Do you realize that God is in control? Do you know that he's working on his plan and his purpose? That his plan and his purpose may well involve you, but it won't depend on you. Hallelujah for that. You know, we've rejoiced to see the way in which the Lord has built his church. It's been a privilege for Linda and I to be in, involved in that at Calderwood. It didn't depend on us depended upon what God was doing for his glory. It's all of God. It's all of grace. And so we don't get a pride, a proud heart. We don't desire anything other than the glory and the majesty of God. And we call everyone else to come to that place where they hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. It's almost, you know, the psalmist way of saying today's the day of salvation, right? Hope in the Lord from today and forevermore. You know, when people turn around and they, I get the privilege to, to, to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with them. I don't want them to know anything other than the difference he can make in their life. You my story, my story is just one of many stories of the difference Jesus makes in their life. What I want them to know is that Jesus loves them. He has died and raised and ascended into heaven that they might be forgiven and restored to God, that they might put all their hope and all their trust in him. For he is the one that can transform them for his glory. So, in the confidence of his experience in, Christ, in God, he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And as a church here in Deniston, out of that confidence that is ours of being sons and daughters of the living God, we're able to throw wide our doors and to say to Deniston, God loves you and Christ has died for you 
and there is salvation in no other name other than the name of Jesus. And if you would learn what it is just to put your hope in him, you would discover what we have discovered, that a sovereign God is working out his plan and purpose and he magnifies and glorifies his name in the salvation of souls like yours and like ours for the glory of his name alone. Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We bow in your presence. We know that you've called us to put all our trust in you. Forgive us, Father, when there are times when we look at the different situations we find ourselves in, the different circumstances we face. There are times when the different experiences of life wash over us and the first thing we want to do is to try and fix it or sort it or address it in our own terms. Help us, Lord God, cease to be still, to calm and quiet our souls in your presence and to realize that there is nothing that will happen to us that we will walk through where your presence will not be with us and our trust in you would ever be misplaced. Father, help us to realize that your presence will be with us and our trust is well placed. And you will honor and glorify your name in all of life. Help us, Lord God, as we long for you to grow your church in this place. Not to desire great things for ourselves, but only for you and your glory. And help us, Lord God, to be a people whose message to those we encounter day by day is that they might hope in the Lord from this day and forevermore for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. We're going to move to uh, a time of uh, communion. I, and uh, I think you're going to continue your regular pattern uh, of uh, worship playing uh, and folks can just respond and, and go and uh, receive the, uh, the bread and take the cup. What I'd encourage you to do is you uh, participate in communion whether you receive those elements to yourself or whether you simply watch that is to realize that every time we break bread and drink the cup we see the gospel. We see the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ but it speaks to us of his broken body and it speaks to us of his shed blood. It speaks to us of the sacrifice that he paid on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins, for the salvation of our souls. And of course, the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which you heard last week uh, in that worshipful rest message in Matthew 11, is come to me. Come to me. And so I encourage you today, if you're uh, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and just as we sing God's praise, as we respond to his word, just to come and to receive of the bread, to receive of the wine.
and uh, to eat and to drink for the glory of God. I'll just pray for the bread and the cup and then uh, you know, Claire and Paul can lead us uh, in worship and in response. Our gracious Father, we do thank you for the simplicity of bread. We thank you for the way in which the simplicity of this bread speaks to us of the most profound truth. That our Lord Jesus Christ in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you eat bread like this and drink the cup like this, so we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, Father, we thank you for your provision of this bread and of this wine. We thank you for your provision for this family of your people. We thank you for your providential hand upon us. And we pray that as we respond in receiving these things, we would do so with glad and thankful hearts for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.